Hello, this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And I am here today with Dr. Fiona McCullough. I'm so thrilled that she agreed to um, speak with me this morning. She is a board-certified naturopathic doctor who's been in practice for 13 years in Toronto, Canada. She graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree, it's Biological Sciences, from the University of Guelph, and went on to graduate from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. She's the founder and owner of White Lotus Integrative Medicine. It's a busy clinic specializing in women's health and fertility, and her clinical focus is on the treatment of fertility and hormone conditions, and she is an avid writer. Um, I follow her blog religiously, and she's a researcher, having published articles in major naturopathic journals, and she also has a very special interest in the PCOS, the treatment of PCOS because she, in fact, has it herself. Dr. Fiona has been able to reverse her own PCOS symptoms with natural methods, and is thrilled to be able to share what she has learned with other women suffering the same conditions. She lives in Toronto with her husband and three boys. So thank you, Dr. Fiona, for joining me today. Thank you so much, Amy. I am so excited to be able to do this podcast because I actually love your blog, and I've actually been following it for a while as well. So as a woman with PCOS, I think it's fantastic. Oh, well, thanks so much. Yeah, I I really feel like you are a kindred spirit. I um, kind of stumbled upon um, your blog when I was doing some research, and gosh, I, I looked back at the, the date of the blog, and it was back in 2010, so I've been um, a fan for quite a while. But you had really um, broke down some, re- some research that was put out in, I think, April of 2010 about resveratrol and how it may help PCOS. Um, there was a study done with, um, I think, uh, an animal-based study, and it showed that resveratrol um, had a, a positive impact on insulin and um, PCOS. So, You know, I love that you're kind of out there scouring the research and really translating it for lay people, um, you know, with PCOS so that we can understand it and and make some sense out of it. But I was hoping that you could maybe share some, like, recent highlights of some research that you've come across. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would would love to do that. So um, one of the studies that I love so, so much is um, it's actually really interesting because as women with PCOS, you know, we often feel very unfeminine and we have acne, hair growth, um, our hairline recedes, and, you know, we often even have a different body shape than um, the traditional female um, shape is supposed to be like according to, you know, what we're all told. Um, and, yeah, we can often feel really down on ourselves, like something's really wrong with us. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to wonder, like, why, why do we even have PCOS? So this study is actually really interesting because it actually talks about that. Um, it was a major study that was published in Fertility and Sterility. It's a, it's a couple years old. 
Um, but it talked about um, basically fertility and sterility is the fertility journal that's out there. It's a huge journal. So this study provided arguments for the why PCOS is even even exists um, and why people why women have it, um, despite the fact that it seems to lower fertility. So why you know why did this um, condition continue to happen? Um, so basically, what they came up with after a lot of research was uh, that PCOS actually persisted because it actually has different survival advantages. So um, women with PCOS actually have greater muscle mass, and in times when there is not enough food, we can actually still reproduce, whereas other, um, other women without those genes actually can become infertile. So women with PCOS are generally more fertile at a lower bo body mass index. I think we all know that. And so, like, during times when there wasn't enough food, we would be the ones that could still reproduce and survive those times. So um, I thought that was always really interesting. Uh, that was an interesting study um, because it just shows that within us we have, like, a, a strength to survive, and there is, you know, there is a good part of having PCOS. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just shows that we can endure a lot. We can go, you know, we can go through difficult times. Um, and what I really take from that is that, you know, we just need to adapt ourselves to the Western lifestyle because it's the lifestyle itself that's hurting us. It's mm -hmm. not the disorder. So, you know, it, it's actually the processed foods, the high glycemic index foods, the refined carbs, the sugar, gluten, the lack of activity. So all the things that we are not really supposed to have, those actually hit us harder than um, other women, and that's what brings out all those those um, those uh, symptoms and the you know the, the irregular cycles and the, the hair growth and acne and all of the things that um, are really um, awful parts of PCOS. But in our natural environment, we are actually survivors and strong. So what we need to do, uh, like this study just shows me that what we need to do is to provide ourselves with the right environment that our bodies were actually made to thrive in and treat our bodies really well. So we have to treat ourselves better than, you know, the, the average person does. And we have to just take more care with our diet and our lifestyle, take better care of ourselves and love ourselves for, you know, what we are inside. And for us, it's a must that we have to do it um, or else we're going to suffer a lot of different kinds of negative effects like um, eventually diabetes, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, all those things that we're at such strong risk for. So in a way, it's a gift because we know now that we are at risk for these things, and so it gives us the opportunity to care for ourselves. Um, so that was an, I thought that article was really interesting because it, it sort of, you know, showed some of the positive about PCOS because we're always uh, quite, you know, as women with a disorder, we tend to focus on, the, you know, the, the negative parts of it. So um, it just allows us to view it through that lens that we can use to actually help ourselves with with um, Disorder. Yeah, I, I love that you um, brought that that positive piece of research up. I I think there's so much negativity out there, and it's so important that we really work to remain positive because there there is some positive research out there, and a couple others that come to mind um, that that women with PCOS, it's been shown that we remain fertile longer too, and um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all. 
Absolutely. I see it all the time in my practice. So, you know, and, you know, as a woman with PCOS gets older, actually the condition improves with time. And the reason is that the amount of androgens um, that are released actually become less. And what we know in fertility medicine is that androgens are actually very rejuvenating to the ovaries. So when you're, you know, in your late 30s, for example, you could actually be more fertile than you are in your early 30s because you'll have lower levels of those androgens. And that'll bring your ovary more to a stage that you would be when you were in your early 30s. So, you know, that's one positive about it as well. Um, I see a lot of women with PCOS conceiving after 40 um, with natural methods much more easily than um, I'll see women without PCOS conceiving um, in this age bracket. So there is definitely a positive to it. And the other positive is we know what our risk risk factors are, so we can actually do something about that for our overall health as well. Yeah, I think that's really hopeful for a lot of women listening um, to this interview. Um, and I know in my experience, in my practice too, I've had several women in their early 40s um, who have never conceived before um, end up having healthy babies. So yeah, I, I think that you know, there, I'm always telling women with PCOS that there is a lot of hope. Um, and then just one other really kind of cool study that recently came out um, was that women with PCOS have um, higher visual spatial skills than, you know, the, the female control group, probably because of the excess androgen. So that's, that's yeah. another little positive um, bit of research that recently came out. Yeah, I read that, and that's so so interesting. And, you know, even when I think about myself as a teenager, you know, I was very, um, you know, I was very self-conscious because I had so much acne, and, you know, um, my stomach was larger than, you know, what my friends would have been at that age. But I always had a lot of drive and, you know, a lot of ability to kind of push through difficult situations and, you know, as I, I grew older, you know, those kind of things actually became benefits to me. So, so yeah, it's really interesting. Um, it's, just that, it's just that we have different characteristics. So um, um, those, can, those can actually have very good things about them, too. And androgens, you know, a lot of people actually take DHEA as they age because um, it's actually an anti-aging hormone, and um, it's, a, it's a, what we call... Um, a hormone that, that basically improves anabolism, which means that it rejuvenates, you know, our tissues in our, in our body. And um, um, women with, with uh, PCOS actually have higher than average DHEA for the most part. So a lot of times, you know, their, even their skin will not age as quickly and um, many other aspects of, of them, as long as they can keep the metabolic component mm -hmm. under control, of course. Wow, that, that's great, too, especially someone like me who's, you know, getting in there into her 40s. <laughs> so, yeah, lots of hope. Yeah, um, I'm headed there too, so yeah, it's always an interesting Um Well, you know, I before we go any further, I want you to tell us a little bit about um, what a naturopathic doctor does and how are you different from, like, the traditional MD? Maybe you could um, talk a little bit about your training and maybe your approach and how that might differ. Oh, sure. Okay, so um, a naturopathic doctor 
Um, we are um, trained in a very similar way to a medical doctor, so we do have um, to do an undergraduate with pre, um, pre-medical sciences. Um, the simil- a very similar um, requirement, actually it's almost the exact same um, prerequisites that you would need for regular medical school. And then, there, then after that, you have to do a four-year graduate level program, and you're educated in all the same basic sciences as a medical doctor, but uh, we also study natural approaches to therapy um, with a strong emphasis on disease prevention and wellness. So it's, just a, it's a bit of a different focus. We look at, um, we tend to look at things holistically and uh, preventatively. So um, we study clinical nutrition, uh, which involves um, both foods and supplements, um, botanical medicine, so that would be herbal medicine, psychology, and counseling. Um, and up in Canada, we also study traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture as well. So um, it's quite an um, involved course. And after that, we have to take rigorous uh, professional board exams, um, which are actually North America-wide. They're called the NPLEX. And that allows us to be licensed um, as a primary care general practice physician. Um, once we get that, every um, we are required to do continuing education and keep our licensing uh, up to date. So it depends on where you live. Um, the regulations about naturopathic medicine can be quite different um, depending on your jurisdiction. Um, the title naturopathic doctor is protected in a lot of areas, but in some areas it's actually not protected. So it's always good to do a little research if you're trying to find a naturopath and just to make sure that they went to one of the seven accredited schools and that they're actually um, a licensed naturopathic doctor. Yeah, I I love the fact that you're looking at the the total picture, that you're not just putting Band-Aids on the problem, that you're really looking at the underlying causes. Um, I, I'm wondering for, for those that are listening, if they're interested in trying to um, find a naturopathic doctor in their area, do, is there um, a website that they could go to where, um, you know, they could, uh, that would direct them to somebody in their area? Do you know of anything like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So in the U.S., um, <coughs> sorry, you could uh, contact the AANP, um, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Um, I'm not sure of their website. It might be aanp.com or .org. I'm not 100% sure. Um, in Canada, you can contact the Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors, the CAND, and I believe their website is, is cand.org. So those would oh, be the two places helpful. to check. Great, great. Um, so tell me, uh, you know, what is going on in your practice and, and kind of what what are you up to in terms of, of PCOS um, work? You know, do you have any projects coming out in the near future? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm always researching um, and writing and uh, writing articles. I've published some articles in different journals. And um, right now I'm actually um, working on writing a book um, which is my first book, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and the book is actually going to be on PCOS and fertility. So um, there, I was I was originally going to write a book just on fertility, but having had uh, I was researching the PCOS portion, and it just became so huge that I thought I should just write the first book just about PCOS because uh, 
having had it myself, I've done, you know, a lot of research into that, and it's, it's always been something that I've had quite good success in. Um, and I've also, I also feel that I've found some new information that might be very interesting. So I really wanted to focus in on it. Um, so I'm really excited about the book, and I hope to have it done within about um, eight months to one year from now. Um, so, yeah, the book will have a lot of information about the different um, PCOS types. So that's what I'm actually very excited about. Um, there are quite a few different types of PCOS, so I think we all know that we've met probably friends or, you know, other women uh, who have PCOS, and you'll, you'll sort of see there are different types um, out there. So there are women who have, you know, cysts and women who have some of the male hormone signs and some who don't, some who still ovulate and some who don't and some um, who are slim and some who are overweight. So there's really different combinations and permutations of PCOS. And what I've found from researching is that each of these types actually have different needs. So um, right now it looks like there's about four, four different types, four, four main types. And, um, you know, for example, you could even move from one type to another depending on your lifestyle. So mm -hmm. my book is going to go into detail about the treatment of the types. And um, I'll include diets nutritional ideas, supplements, um, based on the underlying mechanisms that are, that are going on in um, the individual types. That sounds, so are you going to kind of um, suggest certain protocols for the various types um, in your book? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's going to be yeah, so, so helpful. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited because I, what I've found um, in my practice is that um, the one-size-fits-all approach is, it does help, you know, a certain proportion of women, you know, who have PCOS, but um, there's a certain amount of women, it just, it doesn't, you know, they'll take the same treatment and it doesn't work for them. And the reason that that is the case is that they're actually different. Like if you look at the hormonal balance, there's actually a different shift there. So when mm -hmm. you can focus in on the right um, hormonal imbalance that they're having um, and treat that, then you get a much better result. And in any case, you know, most, almost all of the types can benefit from the treatment of insulin resistance, but sometimes that's not enough. So sometimes you can control the insulin resistance, but the um, hormone imbalance is still present, and that sometimes relates to the pituitary gland and the feedback on the ovary um, and even the adrenal gland. So what they found is that there's actually some differences in the adrenal function of women who have PCOS compared to those who don't. And the adrenals are, are glands that help us to deal with stress and they secrete cortisol. So that is something I've, I'm going to go into a lot of detail about in the book and talk about that and, you know, how that um, impacts us. That's, that's great. I think that's something that's um, really been, um, you know, a part of, PCOS information that's been kind of underserved. I, you know, I'm always telling um, divas that stress really wreaks havoc on PCOS and that we need to learn how to control our stress levels. Uh, so it's going to be great to see some, you know, real research associated with that, and we'll be anxious to hear, you know, your, your advice. Um, maybe you could give us a couple pointers now in regards to stress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... 
Um, if you look at, you know, the way that your adrenals work, so your adrenals secrete cortisol in response to different kinds of stress in your, you know, your environment. And in, you know, ideally, your cortisol should be quite high in the morning when you wake up. And the reason that that happens is that um, your, your adrenals will secrete that little burst of cortisol to kind of wake you up and get you ready for the day. And then over the day, your, your cortisol should decline, and it follows a nice little curve. So what we find is that, you know, women with PCOS, their curve of cortisol is quite altered. So one of the things that can happen is that um, our blood sugar can be quite altered. So every time your blood sugar drops, basically your adrenals will secrete cortisol at that time to kind of help your body compensate with that stress of not having blood sugar. So one of the best things, actually, that you can do to help your adrenals is to keep your blood sugar under control, um, to make sure that your blood sugar is really stable. And that um, women with insulin resistance, because their insulin is so high, that tends to cause the blood sugar to drop very quickly at many different times uh, during the day. So using treatments that do help with that can be very helpful. And, you know, the other thing that's really important for the adrenals is to get enough sleep. Um, because as I mentioned, you know, the, the curve, it's, a, it's like a circadian rhythm. So it depends on the time of the day. So it's really important to go to bed at 10.30 and try to get eight hours of sleep every night. And I know that sounds like a lot, but it will really make a difference in your adrenal function. It's mm-hmm. probably the number one thing that you can do. You know, even, it's even better than most supplements out there for your adrenals. Mm-hmm. So sleep is just really, really important. I love that you said that because I I am always floored at how little sleep um you know the women that I hear from get and I I actually advise the same thing um you know being in bed by you know 10 and up by 6 I think that's like perfect timing for for most people with their circadian rhythms um I know I with three kids by 10 o'clock I'm ready for bed um yeah. but yeah, so I love that you had brought up the, you know, sleep is just so important. Um, and you also, you know, this kind of ties into some of the questions that um, PCOS Divas were posting on my Facebook page when I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you. Um, I had uh, one woman, her name was Susan, asked, you know, what do you recommend to help with those low dips in blood sugar and just in general keeping your blood sugar stable. Um, she, she had asked, especially a week or two before menstruation. So I don't, would oh, you yeah. mind addressing that? Okay. Um, so, I, yeah, that's a great question. Um, the week before you have your period, your progesterone will actually start to drop, and progesterone is made out of cortisol. Uh, sorry, cortisol is made out of progesterone. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, you know, as the progesterone drops, if you have an adrenal problem, that is going to exacerbate the entire situation. Um, so, what, you know, what you really want to do before your period starts is really to stop your body from making too much cortisol. And, you know, when your blood sugar becomes more unstable, that's going to lower your progesterone further and um, it basically causes a vicious cycle. So what you can do um, at that time, um, or actually this is very important to do all of the time, um, is when you're structuring your meals, um, you know, really uh, make sure that you have enough protein and healthy fats 
to match the amount of carbs. And, you know, the carbs actually, you know, generally I tend to recommend gluten-free carbs. And many meals I actually recommend to avoid um, using a lot of carbs if you want to lose weight. Um, but that that's more of a, on an individual basis. But in any case, you would probably not really want to have any more than a half of a cup of any kind of whole grain mm-hmm. at a meal. And the other thing is that uh, I often recommend to take um, a fiber with the meal, so something like glucomannan, which mm-hmm. is um, one of the really nice fibers that just lowers the glycemic index of what you're eating. So um, that uh, fiber actually can really... Um, make the food absorb much more slowly and keep your blood sugar much more stable. And we have some good research on that to show that um, that when you add something like that to your meal as a supplement, that your insulin actually um, lowers and your blood sugar um, will remain very stable for many hours after um, after eating. Yeah, I, I know um, Dr. Hyman, uh, Mark Hyman. He that he wrote the Blood Sugar Solution, and he's a big fan mm-hmm. of um, that that fiber. He he refers to it as PGX, which is kind of like the brand name here in the the U.S. Um, oh yeah, oh we use it all the time. It's really effective. Yeah, um, I know for myself, if I've um after I had my last um, baby, I wanted to lose a little bit of weight and. Uh, I would take it with my meals, and I would feel, I just wouldn't feel hungry. And I also actually felt really good. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, there's just something that, you know, when your blood sugar is stable, you just have more energy, and you just have this sense of kind of being settled in your body. So I do love the Glucoman, and I think it's a really great product. Um, well, great. I'm, I'm going to move on to a question from uh, Sarah. So, Sarah, this is cute. She says, oh, my God, acne, please make it stop. How? So let us tell us what we can do about acne. Okay, so acne. Um, I suffered with terrible acne myself, um, cystic inflammatory acne all over my, mostly my jaw area, um, for many years, probably 15 years um, or so. Um, uh, so from my teenage head and upwards. So I've tried everything for acne. Um, and right now I actually have no acne, um, so this is what has uh, worked for me and quite a few of my patients. Um, what uh, I like to do with acne is definitely to work on the insulin, um, the blood sugar level, so I'll use different supplements that actually help to um, lower insulin resistance in the body and the diet as well, so avoiding sugar, um, keeping to a very low glycemic index diet. Um, And then I also have um, some supplements that will decrease the conversion of uh, to DHT in the skin. So we're looking at things like nettles and uh, and saw palmetto. So that's very helpful um, to kind of bring out bring you out of that that uh, that uh, state where it's it's, you know you're just getting that androgen effect on the skin. Um, I also really like using myo-inositol and N-acetylcysteine. These are also very helpful for lowering the androgens um, effect on the skin. And it sort of depends on the woman um, as to which uh, one of these treatments I might go with. And then topically, I really like uh, using organic um, alpha-hydroxy acids. And I'll usually try to work up to a pretty high um, concentration of that topically because what that does is when when you have excess... um, testosterone, it's going to 
um, cause excess sebum production in the skin. And just, you know, as I was mentioning, like these, these androgens are anabolic, so they just cause kind of overgrowth um, of the, the skin and that sort of thing. So that can be good in some ways, but bad for acne. So um, basically, we, you know, these alpha hydroxy acids can take off that dead skin and sebum. And if you're using them on a regular basis and you build tolerance to them, it really just prevents the pores from being clogged. And you can get some natural products at high concentration. Usually you start at the low concentration because it can be quite, um, you know, it can sting a little bit when you first start using them. That's great info. Uh, and then it also, you know, just let's address the other skin issue with PCOS, which is hirsutism. Um, Stacy was wondering, is there a cost-effective way to stop hirsutism? Okay, so this is such a good question because um, it's one that um, I get a lot in my practice. So from what I've researched about hirsutism, um, basically um, once that follicle is there, you really can't make it go away. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a follicle, so there's nothing you can really do about that. However, what you can do is stop new ones from forming. So um, we can use some of the treatments really that, you know, as I mentioned before, really work on the insulin levels, the diet, the t and then, again, of course, the testosterone on the skin. And then, um, of course, the hair removal techniques are really the best way to get rid of the existing um, hirsutism. So some of the lasers, I know, Amy, you were, we were talking before about one of the lasers being um, quite effective for certain types of uh, hair and, and uh, complexion. So, um, and then, you know, traditional laser hair removal. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have any other solutions for getting rid of the hair that's already present. I know. I, I find that the hair piece, um, the hair that you, you lose on your head and the hair on, that you grow on your skin is probably the hardest part of PCOS and the hardest to manage. Um, yes. I know that I have had a lot of luck with the TRIA at-home hair laser removal system. I um, talk about it on my Facebook, uh, on my blog, but... Unfortunately, it doesn't work for people with light hair, and it doesn't um, work for people with um, dark hair. Um, sorry about my phone ringing. I forgot to uh, <laughs> I forgot to mute. Um, and then the other thing that um, I have found helpful with my um, excess hair, I mean the hair that I'm losing on the top of my head, I was having a lot of issues with that, um, is really going strict gluten-free and also um, going um, out f away from the conventional shampoos. And I'm using actually like a bar shampoo um, that just has natural um, oils in it, and my hair hasn't looked better. And I also do an apple cider vinegar rinse, which I, okay. um, you know, this is this is just my non-professional opinion, but I think apple cider vinegar does something with DHT. This is I'd love for somebody to do research with that. Um, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think, but it, my hair hasn't looked. Um, this good in a long, long time. So uh, 
you know, those are the wow. two things that I've been able to do to kind of manage the hair issues. But um, That's so interesting. Yeah, I use a natural shampoo, and I find it, it really helps. Like, I tend to lose my hair in the front. Um, I already have a high forehead, so it doesn't help. Um, I tend to lose it at the front, and it kind of goes backwards. Um, but what I've found that's really helped me as well is really being careful with my iron status because – Mm-hmm. Um, you need a ferritin level, which is your stored iron, to be at least 80 to grow hair. So um, a lot of us, you know, yeah, if you're below there, your body won't even regrow the hair, regardless of the DHT. So um, you really want to make sure your iron status is good. And it's very common, actually, for women with PCOS to have, you know, you know low iron, actually. So um, and also low thyroid. So those things, um, you know, I always look at those too as mm-hmm. well when I'm seeing that the hair is not coming back, um, if, there, if everything else is improving. Because the hair in the head, I do expect that to regrow, um, which is a little different than the um, hirsutism, because I do see the hair um, on the head will regrow um, quite often. If, uh, mm-hmm. but, but a lot of times it's being actually prevented by something outside of the PCOS as well. So, mm-hmm. um, and I agree with the gluten-free because um, the absorption of different nutrients that you need for your hair actually has to happen in the small intestine. And, you know, the iron and the B vitamins that we need, um, if, you're, if you're eating a lot of gluten, you're going to get what we call leaky gut syndrome mm-hmm. and dysbiosis, and you're not going to be able to absorb those micronutrients that you need for your hair as well. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, this has been so so much great info. I'm I'm so um, grateful that you took the time this morning to um, you know share all of your wonderful knowledge and um, and I am thrilled that you're going to be guest blogging on PCOS Diva this month as well. So maybe you can give us a little sneak peek at what you're going to be um, writing about. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, to be guest blogging. That's fantastic. So. I'm going to be um, writing about the topic of stress and PCOS and uh, the adrenals and um, how they actually um, impact our hormones and can actually cause, you know, uh, in, in PCOS, actually stress can actually really worsen it, uh, even in comparison to other kinds of hormone disorders, um, just because of the specific kind of pathways with progesterone um, that are involved. So I'll just talk about stress. Um, different stress management techniques that might be helpful, and also other ways, you know, with lifestyle, diet that um, can be helpful to encourage the the hormones to rebalance if you've had a lot of stress that has impacted your adrenals. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Um, Well, you know, I wanted to just um, ask you, too, is if... if anybody wanted to um, reach out to you, you know, if they're in the Toronto area, um, maybe you could just remind us um, what your website is and, you know, how people can reach out to you. Oh, sure. Yeah, my, my website is whitelotusclinic.ca. Um, and uh, I'm in Toronto. I have a clinic here. Um, there's myself and another naturopath. So, um, yeah, if anybody would like to see me, that's where my practice is. And we also offer phone consults um, for out-of-town patients. So um, we're really happy to, to treat anyone who's, uh, who's listening to this and who would like to see us. Um, and then I have a Facebook page. So it's Dr. Fiona MD is my, my Facebook address. 
Um, or if you look up Dr. Fiona McCullough, you can find me um, on Facebook. Great. Well, this has been so fun, and um, I look forward to talking to you again, um, and especially when your book comes out. So you'll have to give us a heads up over here over at um, PCOS Diva, because um, I know oh, I, will. I am anxious to read it. Okay. So well, thanks I'm again. So Thank you uh, very much, Amy. Oh, you're so welcome. And we will definitely be hearing from you again soon. All right. Well, thank you. It was really great to have the opportunity to speak to everyone. And um, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.